Hello and welcome back to the next episode of Mark Pearson's Property Profits. This episode, we will be looking into the type of property we want to buy from apartments, houses, freehold, leasehold, the, what are the best options for you? And depending on your particular set of circumstances, the answer will be slightly different. Hopefully, we'll be able to raise some points that you've not thought of and also reassure you on some that you have. As always, please ask any questions that you have from this podcast. Send them over to me at mark at baroncabot.com. The podcast is supported by Baron and Cabot, the company that I work for. On www.baroncabot.com, you'll see we're their only company to do a 112-point due diligence checklist on every development. That's from start to finish. So everything we cover in these podcasts plus more. They also have on the website, you can find things like full guides. So similar uh, to this podcast, but a little bit more detail written. And also some example projects on there as well. So getting straight in, no Q&A yet because... The previous podcast was only done this morning. We, I think we've had about five listeners since then. <laughs> so um, straight into the type of property that we should be buying. Houses, apartments, one beds, two beds, three beds, um, freehold, leasehold, and the positives and negatives of each. So I think the first thing to look at is starting to get to understand what exactly you're looking for in a property investment. Are you the type of person who wants to be a hands-on investor? Do you want to be involved in the properties? Do you want to do you take, do you want to be able to see the properties? Do you want to be able to bring your own tenants in? Um, do you want to go and fix the radiator or what have you when that breaks? Or are you the type of uh, investor who's looking for just a pure passive income? You want to be working on other things and allowing the property to do the work for you. <clears throat> the reason I ask these questions is because it changes the type of property that you might be deciding to buy. While there is no hard and fast rule, like the rest of property, there's no, there's no answer for you, and there's a good guide, and, and that really is that if you want to be hands-off, you're probably looking for a property or a development that has a service charge in place. Now, a service charge, you don't want it to be too expensive, you don't want it to be too cheap, so the property is not looked after properly. But you want a service charge there. You don't want a uh, necessarily a house on its own because the point is you're going to have to be organising for a roof, a roof tiler or an um, engineer to come out anytime there's any problems. Conversely, you might enjoy doing that. You know, so my um, you know my father he enjoys actually going out to the properties and and doing these these bits of work. So he, he enjoys that. He's retired and that, that's something that he enjoys as part of his, his life. Whereas other, than my, other of my clients don't want that. They just want to be completely hands-off. They don't want to be having to organize people to come in. There's no right or wrong answer to that. So you, you quite happily go for a, a house if you want to, or you can go for an apartment. I normally get this question, <clears throat> well, isn't, it's much cheaper having a, a house or, or a property without a service charge. And that may be the case, but it also may not be. Uh, ultimately, for instance, I have a, a property that I had to change the roof on. It's, it was not managed. It was not under a service charge. I had the, the upper and lower apartments. Uh, it was a converted house. And the, the roof went, it cost me £7,000. It was an Edwardian house. £7,000 that I had to stump up there and then. Now, obviously, in my other properties, 
another of my clients' properties whereby they're in a block of apartments, you don't really get that. It's very unlikely that you'll have, a, you'll have to stump up any major costs. It will be a service charge that goes out month in, month out with what you call a sinking fund. What a sinking fund is, is that the management company behind the service charge, the, the company who are looking after the building, shouldn't be confused with the people that are looking after your apartment. So this is for the building itself. They often have a sinking fund in place for the things that need doing every couple of years or every five years, 10 years to make sure that there's no money being asked additionally on top of the service charge from the tenants or the landlords. So I wouldn't be scared of service charges. I just factor it into your costs. Have a look at a new property uh, against a uh, freehold or, a, um, or a, a house whereby you don't have a service charge there. And you can, it's relatively straightforward to work out the cost with that. We'll go over service charges a bit later on when we actually look at developments and choosing developments themselves and developers. But in actual fact, when you look at a service charge, so long as it's, you've got an itemized breakdown of the costs there, you're, you're getting to share that with the other landlords within the building. The only time that a service charge is really a problem is when the property owner or developer just makes up the service charge breakdown. So you want to have a breakdown of the service charge. You don't want it just to be an assumed figure because it might end up being too much. But we also want to make sure these developments are looked after properly. So make your decision. Which one do you want? Do you want to be involved in the property? Do you enjoy doing that? Do you want to be involved in getting contractors and what have you? Or do you want to be hands-off as an investor? Naturally, you might make a few savings here and there by managing the property yourself and by going out and, and doing the work yourself. But you just have to decide what you want out of this as an investment and as a property. The next step would be really looking at, well, how many bedrooms should the property have? How big should it be? And again, this, is, this goes back to our statistics, our data analysis that we look at and getting a copy of this from Baron and Cabot. Emails mark at baronandcabot.com. Re uh, request a copy of this if you want it. Just tell me what city you're looking for or postcode. And we can see the types of growth in property values for one beds, two beds, three beds, four beds, etc. And have a look at, well, what's, what's in demand? Which ones are growing the best? Which ones have been performing the best over the last five years, 10 years, three years? What's been performing the best this year? There's no real rule behind it. Ultimately, what we want to work out is what our yield return will be for each type of property. Again, going back to the previous podcast, stop having a, an assumption over these things and go straight back to the data. Even the likes of Rightmove can show you that. So you can pick out, you can go on to open two screens on Rightmove if you want. One on sold, sold houses or houses for sale or apartments for sale. And the other side, apartments for rent. Pull up two beds or three beds or four beds or whatever you want to look at on the left-hand side and look at the average sort of price for those. And then compare that on another screen with the rental averages or the rentals that's being asked for those properties. Even better, have a look at the ones that are rented STC, subject to contract. And what that'll show you is, well, these have actually been let out, likely for around the amount of rental price that's been requested. And equally, the sold, uh, sold houses for roughly around the amount being requested on Rightmove. Naturally, with sold prices, we can get slightly better data from either the government databases or from Baron and Cabot's data sets looking at actual sold prices. Rental, actual rental prices are a bit more difficult to come across. But for the early research phase, it's quite, quite straightforward to look at this on the likes of Rightmove or Zoopla. So once we know the area we want to invest in, as discussed in the previous podcast, we can then look at the growth figures, the average rental returns for the type of property 
uh, going from a, a one-bed apartment, a studio apartment, a two-bed, three-bed, four-bed, etc. With this information, it's quite straightforward to work out which one you think is the best for, for you to purchase and whether you can actually afford to buy into that. For instance, if a four-bed terrace are working the best but you don't have that sort of money, then we might have to look at the next best alternative. Now, what I find that's helpful for my clients is actually thinking also about the exit strategy at this point. So actually selling the property and, and what can happen there. The reason being, I think it's always important for you to think about that you want to sell these properties to an owner-occupier. <clears throat> so you don't really want to be selling to another investor. The reason being is, like yourself and you know, like, like the clients that I work with, investors want something below market value, something they're going to make a profit on. An owner-occupier wants a really nice place for them to live, bring up a family or for them and their husband or wife or partner to live in. Now, this is an important aspect because we want, what we want to consider is whether the next person is able to mortgage the property. Now, contrary to popular belief, things like hotel rooms, student accommodation, and in most cases, studio apartments are very difficult to mortgage, if at all. If you can get a mortgage, it'll be on a commercial mortgage. Now, that's not to say these investments aren't good investments. You know, you can find a good investment within those, but don't expect a huge amount of growth. This is why the yield returns are higher on them. There shouldn't be any real growth in them whatsoever. The reason being is, if you can't mortgage a property, the only way you can really value that property is as a multiple of the rental income. The benefit with properties that you can mortgage is you can either work off a multiple of rental income if you're selling it to an investor, but you can also get an open market value when you sell to a, an owner-occupier. If you want a bit more information on that, please do contact me because that's quite a detailed topping in itself. We might do a podcast on that one later on. Now, freehold and leasehold, which is a huge question for everybody. I think there's a lot of people that don't understand how leaseholds work. And I think that gets in the way sometimes of being able to purchase the right property for them. If you are only looking for freehold properties, you are out of the apartment market. You cannot buy an apartment. You cannot have a full comparison of the market for your investment. The reason being is that almost no apartments have a freehold with them. And really, we want to have as much of the market to compare as possible, so long as the investment's safe and protected. So as you may well be aware, a freehold is ownership of the land itself. And a leasehold is technically a long lease, whereby you are borrowing or renting the land that your property is sat on. Now, some of you may not know that this goes all the way back to the Romans. So the Romans renting out land and then kings renting land to noblemen and then noblemen renting those out to various other people who wanted to farm on that land. Very old-fashioned principle, very British in its, uh, in, its, in its way that it's set up and it's all from the old monarchy and all the rest of it. But it's an important one for us to understand. So ultimately, if you've got a leasehold, you, you can have a leasehold from anything from a couple of years all the way up to 999 years, which is described in the industry as a virtual freehold. So if you ever hear anybody say virtual freehold, usually means that it's a 999-year lease. Now, if your property lease goes below 95 years, under the Leasehold Reform Act of 1993, you're entitled to increase it at a normal rate, at a, a fair rate. So normally that'd cost you about £5,000 to increase it by another 90 years. 
The only time that a short lease can become problematic is once you get below 70 years, whereby mortgage rates will start to increase. But a lot of investors make a lot of money by buying properties with a short lease, whereby the owner doesn't understand the Leasehold Reform Act and sells off the property cheap or at auction. A lot of investors will buy this up, hold it for two years, add, pay £5,000, extend the lease by 90 years and increase the value of the property significantly. So if you understand leases, there's, there's really nothing to be worried about. One thing you want to make sure is that the ground rent is normal. So please make sure that if you're buying a property, the ground rent on there is 0.1% of the property value. That's a real important one because that's going to, it's actually going to be a government act at either some point this year or next year, whereby every property has to have a, uh, a ground rent of 0.1% or below. So if you're above 0.01% of your property value, as in £150,000 property should have £150 ground rent per annum. If yours is above that, then give us a call or uh, drop me an email. I'll try and tell you the best next steps for you. And obviously as well, um, that you want to make sure that the ground rent doesn't increase ridiculously. So you want to make sure that your ground rent increases following inflation. Uh, so, so long as it's going up at the same value as the pound, really there's not an awful lot to be worried about in a leasehold at all. And it really if managed correctly, it doesn't make any difference compared to a freehold unless the leasehold is at a very low level and you're going to have to pay £5,000 to extend it. Therefore, just downvalue that property by £5,000. Normally, you see new developments even with 100, 125-year leases. It does put clients off. Uh, we Obviously, we stray away from it because it does put clients off. But when you do understand how that works and how, how a lease works and how you extend it, there's really nothing at all to be worried about. So that was a little bit of a whistle-stop tour. Again, please do ask any questions for the Q&A uh, to mark at baroncabot.com. Also, any feedback on the podcast so far, any questions, uh, type of things that you'd like to be covered in any future podcasts and I can add that in. I'm hoping that the way I'm delivering it is getting more and more professional. We'll, we'll learn together. <laughs> I'm trying, trying to improve uh, day by day, taking some tips and feedback from clients and friends and family. And we will continue on with the educational podcast. Also, in maybe one or two podcast time, we'll start to go over some developments. We'll start to work through developments. So if there is any development that you're looking at that you'd like a bit of advice on or some a, a free a due diligence on, I'd be quite happy to do that and uh, we can discuss that in a future podcast. So thank you very much for listening. Look out for the next episodes on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and pocket casts.